Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This message is part five in the series, An Unfulfilled Potential, The Life of King Saul. In this message, Brandon relates lack of trust and fear to selfishness and how all of these greatly affect our ability to fulfill our potential. Amen. We're going to continue today looking at the life of Saul and we're going to continue looking at our potential um, in God and and how some of the things that just keep us from from being able to do that. If you remember the first week we looked at just a little bit about potential in general and then we looked at the fact that sometimes our confidence or lack of confidence, healthy confidence robs us. We looked at the fact that sometimes we don't take responsibility for our life and then last week we looked at excuses, how good we are at making excuses. And this week I want to talk to you about selfishness and, and how that begins to rob us of our potential. And I want to look at it maybe a little bit of a, in a little bit of a different way with you this morning. But what we're thinking about here is if, if your potential is here and these things that we're talking about now can put, put a false ceiling in your life here or here or here, here. And what we want to do is remove that so that we can reach the ultimate potential that God has for us in our life. The ultimate potential that God, the impact that God wants us to make for his kingdom. And so that we can begin to narrow that gap. We can begin to do things for God that he created us to do. Not leaving, remember, not leaving anything on the table, but walking it out with God and beginning to um, fulfill all that he created us to do. How many of you want to do that today? You look a little tired. Let's wake up. This is going to be fun. God is here and and he's going to meet us here today and we're going to have a good time in his word. And I just believe he's going to bless us this morning. And I, I just believe this, this seed of this word is going to just take root and grow in our hearts. I want to read to you 1 Samuel 18, uh, verses 5 through 9. And I have been told this week that I don't give you enough time to find it in your Bible. So I am going to just wait just a second. Everybody got it? Okay. All right. Verse, chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. David and, and the Israelites and Saul, they've just, they've just defeated the Philistine. David has just killed Goliath. It was an intense moment, so intense that David, you know, after he's killed uh, Goliath, it says in the Bible that when he, they bring him to Saul, who wasn't even at the battlefield, he is still carrying the head of Goliath. Isn't that pretty wild that he just, he went all that way and he was, it was such an intense moment that he, just, he still had his head in his hand. And so we're coming to this now, and it's after they finished uh, defeating the Philistines, they've routed them, and verse 5 says this. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet king, with King Saul, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for those who are here today. I I thank you, God, that this would be a challenge to us and and we would leave here, God, having been challenged and yet encouraged to live for you, God. I thank you that life is not about us, but it's about your kingdom. God, I pray that this morning we would begin to grasp that even more so that the potential you have placed on the inside of us 
Father, that it could be produced and we would not leave one thing undone that you've created us to do. Have your way here now. In Jesus' name, amen. See, this is one of the problems that Saul had for his entire life. He always had this issue of the kingdom not being about God, but being about Saul. How many of you ever feel that way? I mean, life is not necessarily about God. We, we, want, we, we mentally assent to that, but our actions and what's in our heart maybe don't really indicate that. We live in a way that, um, that, that does not display a life that is lived for the kingdom. And I want to look at that today and begin to try to unmask that somewhat and look at the fact that, that just as Saul did not attain his potential because of the selfishness in his life, we sometimes rob our potential in the same way because we're selfish. And I want us to, I want to tell you two little illustrations and then my prayer and my hope is that those are going to intertwine and they're going to make sense. Okay. So here we go. The first one is this. If you're at my house and you're facing my front door to the right of our house and on the side, there's this azalea bush. Now, a lot of people love azalea bushes. I don't. I, I, because mine look horrible. And so there's this one azalea bush that that grows over there on our side yard. And I have cut this thing down a hundred times. And I mean, I've gone out there with the pruners. I'm like, oh, gone azalea bush. You know, I'm just cutting them, trying to just chop it up and, and just get rid of it. And I'm like, got it. And I'll leave. And a few months later, I come back and lo and behold, this thing is still growing. And I thought, my goodness, this is like the, the devil azalea bush. It's, it's got to be from the pit of hell. I cannot kill this thing, you know. It's just overcoming me. And so the, the thing is there, and I would cut it, and I would cut it, and I would cut it, and I would cut it. And then it would grow and grow and grow and grow. And it was a huge, this, and, and now it's just huge. It's just everywhere. It's just big. It's just nasty. And to think that that big old nasty thing grew from a little bitty seed at some point. You know, a little bitty plant at some point that it grew into this big, just thing that I look at. It's like arrogance to me. It's like just defying me wanting to be able to take this thing out. And so it's there. And, and to think that it grew from such a small seed, to think that it grew into this big, huge thing from such small beginnings. And I've tried 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 to get rid of it. And yet it's still there. The other thing I want to tell you about is my three-year-old Jackson. Sean calls him Mejack. Sean Corbett calls him Mejack because he doesn't say I. We don't know why he doesn't like the word I, but Jackson does not like to say I. So everything is me. And I know that you have, some of you have kids and you have grandkids. And if your kids are old enough, then that you have realized that on the inside of them, there is some sort of innate selfishness that just begins to arise. See, Bethany and Sean, who just had their baby, they have no idea of this at this point. But as soon as the baby begins to be able to react to its environment, they will find out this thing has a selfish tendency. And no matter how precious this little baby seems in the beginning, there is something that is on the inside of it that makes it selfish and makes it want what it wants. Now, my kids are not that way. I don't know why. I mean, I guess they are miracle children because my kids would never do anything selfish. I don't know. I mean, I guess we are great parents. But honestly, they are. They, they are selfish. And Jackson's thing is always me. Me, 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 me. And, he, and it's, it's, it's literally like that because he stutters. It's me, 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 me. 
And he's, he's, he comes and he says, he, one day he comes up to me and, and we're sitting there and he goes, me want some candy. And you know, we just think it's cute. We're just like, oh, he's so precious because he's our kid. Everybody else is like, what are you gonna do when he's 27 and he goes through the line at Burger King and he's like, me, 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 me want number seven. <laughs> me want number seven. And then me, me, me like number seven. And so and we think it's cute. Everybody else is like, you better correct that. But he comes up to me one day and he says, me, me want some candy. And I said, no, Jackson, no. I want some candy. I want some candy. He goes, no, me want some candy. And he thought I was trying to tell him, like, I want it, Jackson. And he was like, no, me want it. And, and so there's a little communication gap there. But it just shows me the selfishness that's built in. I mean, we, we've seen it, you know, before now. But it's just evident that there is this thing in us that wants what's ours. We want it and we want it's mine and don't you touch it. And it just works like that in every one of us. There's, there's just this ingrained thing in us that we are so afraid that somebody is going to get our part. And we live out of this scarcity mindset that there's only enough to go around. There's, there's not enough to go around. There's only enough for me. And if I don't get mine, then I'm not going to have enough. And so I want to talk to you about that today. That was one of the things that King Saul had such a problem with. King Saul struggled so much because he saw the kingdom being about himself. He saw the kingdom as, as his thing. And when David comes along, he could have, listen, David could have been the best right-hand man anybody could have ever had. And yet Saul, because of his selfishness and his outlook on the kingdom of God, was afraid to allow David to be that for him. And as soon as those women started singing that David has slain his tens of thousands and Saul has slain his thousands, it cemented the deal for Saul. And from that point on, he was going after David and he couldn't stand the fact that David was more popular than he was. And this selfish nature that was inside of Saul began to rob him of his potential so much that in the end, Saul fell on his own sword. Is that not pitiful? That the man who God had said, when these signs have happened, do all that your hand finds to do, for God is with you. And the end result was that he impels himself on his own sword. Now that's a sad ending. But I want to look at this today and begin to try to figure out what is it about selfishness? Why are we so selfish? Because see, I believe that selfishness is a, a mindset. Okay? It's a mindset on ourselves. Does that make sense? It, it, we have set our minds on ourselves so that the things that we think about, the things we desire, the things, I mean, think about this. When we had our first kid, even, even this, when we had our first child and at three o'clock in the morning, we're in there and we're, the baby is screaming and, and, and neither one of us have slept. And I'm like kicking Susan and she's kicking back and we kick harder and she kicks harder and we're thinking somebody's got to get up and take care of this kid. What is it about me that makes me not? It's because I'm worried about getting enough sleep. It's me. It's myself. I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about my wife. I'm not thinking about other people in my life who I could bless. I'm not thinking about the fact that other people have needs too. I'm thinking about my needs. So my, my mind is set on me. But see, Jesus came and Jesus did something so awesome and so revolutionary. He took the world and he flipped it upside down. He brought, a, he brought a revolution 
to the world. He literally took the world and, and flipped it upside down to a point where things that people had thought for years and years and years were all of a sudden shown to be not the way that God would want them to be. And so many people couldn't grasp this because it was so ingrained and the Jews had such a hard time with this. They couldn't grasp the fact that God could be sending a king who was not sent to be a military ruler, but who was sent to serve other people. How could he send a king to start another kingdom when he's gonna die on a cross? They couldn't grab it. And yet Jesus takes it and flips it upside down and Jesus knew that he was gonna die. He knew what was gonna happen and yet he chose to do it anyway so that when he comes and they're at the Last Supper, they're there and the Bible says that Jesus took off his outer garment. He wraps it around his waist. He gets down on his, feet, his knees and he begins to wash the feet of the other disciples. What an awesome display that God gave us of how we're supposed to live our life. And yet it goes against the very grain and nature of who we are. It goes against everything that's on the inside of us. How many of us really and truly wake up in the morning going, who can I serve? Whose feet can I wash today? The first foot washing I'd ever been in was like a nightmare. I was there, and I won't tell you who the other person was, Sean Corbett, but, <laughs> but and I, this might be embarrassing. I apologize, but, you know, it's all good. So we're there. I've never done this before. I've never been a part of a foot washing before. And so they look to me and go, Brandon, would you demonstrate? I was like, oh, yeah. I had no clue. So I'm sitting there and I look over and they, they get Sean. Sean and Brandon, come demonstrate this for us and then we'll have our foot washing ceremony. And so he comes over and we're like racing for the chair because we, neither one of us really knew what to do. And so we're both running, kind of get, trying to get the chair. He sits down, I'm like, oh. And so I look and there's a bowl of water and there's a towel. And I said, well, it makes sense to just use it like a bath cloth, right? And so I take his feet and I, and, and I well, and I, moving on, I take his feet and I put them over there near, and I just take the towel, dip it in the water, and I just start buffing them things, you know? I'm just like a shoe shine boy, you know? I'm getting the toenails between the toes. I didn't know what to do. And then I look around and I'm like, I didn't have anything to dry. And then I realized you're supposed to wash the feet with the hands and then use the towel to dry. And so I'm like, man, I have totally screwed this thing up. It is, this is bad. And so then I get stuck, I guess because I performed so badly that I get stuck changing out the water. And so there's nothing more gross than taking the water that about 15 people's feet have been washed in and carrying it to go empty it and get fresh water. There were things floating in that water that I'm sure were ungodly. I mean, it was bad. But this is what Jesus did. I mean, he comes and gets down on his knees. I mean, the, listen now, the God of the universe gets down on his knees and begins to wash these nasty old men's feet. See, they were walking. I mean, they, they wore sandals. They didn't have like Nikes. Their feet were dusty. They were dirty. And yet Jesus, the God of the universe, gets on his hands and his knees and he begins to wash their feet. And when he gets done, he looks at them and he says, I've set before you this example and you need to go and you need to do this to one another. And yet it goes so against the grain of who we are. It's so hard for us to realize this. And yet Jesus comes to this point of teaching us that if we will humble ourselves before God and we will serve other people and we'll get off of the high horse, we will become a servant to others, lay our selfishness to the side, then God 
will exalt us. But see, our problem in life is that we try to exalt ourselves. We try to raise ourselves up to a place. And I just want you to know this today, that when you do that, you may attain great things. You may. But I want you to know that what you're propped up on is temporary. And it's not something that's going to sustain you forever. But when you allow God to exalt you to the place that he wants you to be, when you allow God through your humility, through your um, humbling yourself to begin to raise you up, you are set in a place that no man can rob you of what God's going to do in your life. And it begins to fulfill the potential that God created you for. I want to look at something real quick. Um, If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3, because see, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that selfishness is the manifestation of something deeper. And this is how I want us to look at this today. I believe that a selfish life is the manifestation, it's the, the observance, it's what we see, but there's something deeper on the inside of us that causes this. And I want us to begin, I figure if we're going to get to the root of this, then we need to look at the very beginning. And see, the cool thing about this is, it's, it's like that azalea bush, that it started from this small seed, and yet it became this big, huge plant. And as much as I cut it and chopped at it, the roots kept just growing back up. And so today I want us to get to the root of the issue. I want us to look at, at this, um, this deal of selfishness and how do we overcome it? What is it that causes us to be so selfish? Let's look at Genesis 1, uh, 3, 1 through 10. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals and the, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Now, what's happening in these scriptures? See, I want to I try to just paint a little bit of the picture for you. Because, see, what has happened so far is these two people have lived literally in paradise. I mean, they have lived in a place where they desired nothing. They wanted nothing. They had perfect relationship with God. And yet, all of a sudden, they begin to, to be tempted into this situation where the devil comes to try to begin to tempt them to do what God told them not to do. And so God comes along in the beginning and he begins. And see, here's the truth of it. A lot of us have a problem with this. A lot of us have a problem with, did God really do this? Is, is, is this really true? Did God, you know, did God really get down on his hands and knees and take dirt and, and begin to, to shape it and form it? And did he really take it and begin to breathe life into it? And I just want to say this. You know, in the beginning, God created. And if we can't get the first three chapters of the Bible right, how are we going to get the rest right? I mean, it just makes sense. And so we've got to get to a place where we see that this is the Word of God. 
It is the word. See, if the devil can come and make us doubt this very beginning, then he can make us doubt everything else that's in it. And so we've got to get to a place where we realize that this is what happened. This is how it went down. And so the devil comes and it says that he's more crafty than anybody else. And he comes and what does he do? He plants a seed in their mind that maybe God is holding out on you. Maybe there is more to life than God really wants you to experience. And he begins to plant this little seed, sort of like a little Isaiah plant. And he begins to plant this thing. And we begin to go, ooh. And Adam and Eve went, hmm. And she looks at that fruit and she goes, you know, that could help me attain something. I, man, what if God is holding out on me? What if there is something that God, God doesn't want? God, he doesn't want me to have everything that I could have. And what does it do when it begins to grow? And that seed that he planted began to grow. It began to create a lack of trust in Adam and Eve. In Eve. And she's sitting there. She begins to look and she begins to think. I mean, you, you can read it. You can see it happening. The wheels are turning. That seed's been planted. And she's going, maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not true that God, maybe he's not, maybe there is something more. And we begin to doubt and we begin to see and that little seed begins to grow. And we begin to see things that begin to happen. Listen, it was in Saul's life. It happened with Saul all the time. He never trusted God to do what God told him he would do. I mean, God told him, do everything your hand finds to do and he never would do it. He had such a hard time trusting God. So a lack of trust caused Saul to have so many problems. And that little seed, that little thing in his heart, in his mind that began to grow, it began to cause him to have a lack of trust. And that thing just continued to grow. Adam and Eve couldn't trust, they didn't trust him completely. They they thought, well, maybe we know the best way. They didn't trust God completely. And so they began to uh, move on their own and begin to take things into their own hands and, and began to eat that fruit and their eyes were open. And the Bible says that when they were open, they began to sew fig leaves together and they tried to make coverings for themselves and, and it, just, it just wouldn't work. See, one thing that, that I realize in all of this is if we're really going to accomplish the mission, the vision that God has given us, we've got to be able to trust him. We can't, we, we've got to be able to trust God if we're really going to do the things that God has called us to do. See, if, if God is going to do exceedingly abundantly more than we've ever thought or imagined, then we've got to get to a place where we're willing to trust him to do that. Because see, I believe that our potential is so much bigger in each one of us individually and as the church and the body of Christ, our potential is so much bigger than what we usually think of it to be. And so we've got to get to a place where we're trusting God. But if the devil can sow a seed in our heart that begins to grow that we cannot trust God, then we'll never become all that we could have been. And so he begins to come and drive this seed, this wedge, into the heart of God, or into the heart of man. And it begins to grow, and it begins to get bigger. And and just like with Saul, they begin to not trust God. They take things into their own hands. They eat the apple, and then this happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, this is verse 6, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. God's coming through there, and he says, Where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. That little seed that, that, that Satan planted caused sin. Sin caused separation, and with separation from God came fear. 
So that that little seed that was planted there began to grow. And this lack of trust in God began to grow. And then before long, it had become full-blown fear. And so they began to move into this place from just a lack of trust to fear. They're hiding from God. And we laugh at the thought that they sowed fig leaves on themselves to try to cover themselves up from God as if God wouldn't notice. I mean, like God would walk through and go, wow, nothing's changed. And they got fig leaves sewn on them. But we do the same thing. We think that if I can hide well enough, God just won't notice. I, I can hide my selfishness. I can do enough good things to feel good about myself. And if I can hide my selfishness, then maybe God just won't notice. Remember last week we talked about Saul's problem. One of them was that he wouldn't change at the core of who he was. He projected this image of having changed. He would do enough things to try to get people to think that he was religious and that he was good. And yet he never really changed at the core of who he is. And we do that so much. And it causes us to live in fear. It causes us to live in separation. See, the glory and the awesomeness of Christ is that he came to do away with that gap between us and God. He came to be a bridge so that we no longer have to live in this unhealthy fear of God, but we can have fellowship with God. And yet so many of us still live like Adam and Eve where we're trying to just cover up our junk with this this false way of living life. And it's just not, not right. And we've got to get to a place where we begin to realize that this is robbing us of what God wants us to have. Saul did it. We do it. Saul was in fear so many times. He, w- he lived his life because he had a lack of trust. He got in fear. He never, you know, Jonathan had to go attack the Philistines. David had to attack Goliath. He never accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, what he was capable of accomplishing, simply because he lived a life of fear. And I guarantee you, if you really look at most things in your life, one of the biggest problems you have is fear. And if you boil it all down, just get to the nuts and bolts of us. Most of us have an issue of fear. We may not fear dying, but I guarantee you, we fear something. And so many times, that fear drives our life. We fear acceptance. We fear uh, rejection. We fear all these things. In our, we fear dying. We fear getting cancer. We fear all these different things in our life. And I believe the root of fear is a lack of trust. I believe that the biggest problem we have is a lack of trust in God. And then it becomes this thing where it begins to overtake our life in fear. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have gotten in fear so bad I couldn't move. Have you ever been somewhere, I don't know, walking through the woods or sitting in your house, laying in the bed maybe, and you hear a noise. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, what is that? And you just get frozen with fear and it's like you need to do something but you don't know what to do and you're just scared to death and you're just laying that's what fear begins to do to us it begins to paralyze it begins to keep us from moving and doing what God's called us to do what he's created us to do so many times with churches today and this really is man this is hard I don't understand this but because of fear churches can't work together because of selfishness, churches can't do anything together. I mean, we got all these churches everywhere, and yet we can't do anything together because everybody's so afraid that somebody might get a piece of their pie. We're so afraid that somebody else, well, what if we do something with this other church and they like that pastor better than they like me? What if, what if, what if the kingdom's not about us? 
The kingdom's not about our church. It's about God. And it's about God accomplishing his purpose and what he wants to accomplish in this place, in this city, in this county. And yet it burns me up because, I mean, and, and I get looked at like I got leprosy or something. Hey, what if we do this? Like, I don't know. Well, you know, we can't do, I'm just afraid that our people, you know, they're, if it's not, name a denomination. If it's not, then I'm afraid they won't be able to do it. And I'm thinking, my, and this is steps on time, I'm sorry, but I'm thinking, my gosh, if we can't get past denominations, if we can't get past non-denominational, then how are we ever going to get past the real sin in people's life? How are we ever going to get to a point where we are able to look at somebody and truly love the sinner and yet hate the sin? We can't we can't get over the small hurdle of this being our church and don't you touch our church and that's our people don't you talk to our people and how are we ever going to do anything else and it's because of fear we are so afraid and then if you look at it it's because of a lack of trust that God doesn't have enough to go around for me take it to the workplace why don't we why don't we do some of the things we do I mean we said we can sit at work and hope that somebody else fails so that we could benefit we can sit in church and hope another church fails so that we could benefit. Well, maybe if that pastor will sleep around on his wife, then maybe all those people will come to us. And so we begin to look at it from this angle of, of can we benefit from somebody else's loss? And why are we doing that? Because we're afraid there's not enough for us. We're afraid that somehow we're going to lose what's rightfully ours. It's me. It's me, 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 me. It's going back to the three-year-old. But most of us live with this three-year-old mentality. And so we've got to get to a place where we don't do that. I want to read a quick scripture to you. This one's not very long. It's Galatians 5.20. For 5.19 through 21, actually. It says, I'm going to pause. Pause. Find your scripture. All right, here we go. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The King James Version translates that word as manifest. It's obvious to see the acts of the sinful, that selfishness on the inside of us, all these things on the inside of us, they're obvious to see. The manifestation of them are obvious to see. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Listen, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. He says very clearly that these things are obvious. They're manifest in our life. You, they're there. We can see them. We try to hide them, but they're there. And then he goes on to list these things that are a result of this nature that works on the inside of us that we are born with. And he begins to lay them out. And what's crazy is this. Do you mean to tell me that my selfishness is as bad as idolatry? And yet God's word says so, yeah. You mean to tell me that? You, are you serious? Do you mean to tell me that my selfish ambition is, is as bad as jealousy? Is, is as bad as orgies? My selfishness? And then it says this. It says... Sexual immorality, the word for that is pornea. Pornea, what word do we get from pornea? Pornography, porn. 
It doesn't mean just natural acts for men and women. It is referring to all kinds of sexual acts that are ungodly. Homosexuality, all of these things. And you mean to tell me that my selfishness is as bad as homosexuality? But see, our world, our culture don't, they don't want us, it doesn't work that way. We try to classify these sins. And it's robbing the kingdom of God of its potential. We don't want to look at somebody who's, who's gay and think that God can change them. We'd rather take five scriptures out of the Bible, try to bind it up, throw it in their lap, and say, listen, now get right. But the person that's selfish, we'll deal with them for years. Y'all are looking at it. This is, we good? Cool. But we want to classify it. We want to rationalize it. We want to make it one thing or another. And God says, listen, it's all wrong. And it's this innate desire, this thing on the inside of us. I mean, do we really believe that God can heal the worst of us? Do we or do we not? Because we will never fulfill the vision that God has given us until we realize that God can truly heal the worst of sinners. And I want to tell you something. When we begin to love people like that, we'll be labeled. We'll be labeled. But oh, the day that the testimonies of God begin to come out of this place. When the worst of these, when the Paul, the wretched, can stand up and say, I am the wretched, the most wretched of all sinners, and yet God touched my life and has made me whole. And I'm not standing here today to tell you that any of these things are okay. I'm telling you they're not. But I'm telling you that God is big enough to do a work in each of us. To heal us and make us whole. And that is God's desire. That we would all be whole. That we would all be made whole. And yet we come to a place in church where we totally, absolutely fear this. We fear truly rolling up our sleeves and getting dirty and getting in there and mixing it up with the least of these, with those who are hurting, with those who are wretched. I had some, some appointments this week where I met with people, and I'm going to tell you, Monday and Tuesday were hard days. I dealt with some things that were just, just difficult. And part of me was torn. I, so much of me, was, I was excited, and yet part of me was like, oh my gosh, did I really get in it for this? God, you know, we, you know we, we, do we really, is this what we really wanted, God? And yet, I come back to a place of truly believing that God is big enough and capable enough of changing every one of us. Listen, if God can save me and change me, he can change anybody. If he can begin to heal me and make me whole, he can do it for anybody. Amen? And we begin to move in that. But fear begins to rob us. And, and the result of that is that seed continues to grow. That seed that in the beginning started out being this lack of trust. And this little bitty seed continues to grow. Then once the lack of trust has begun to mature, we begin to come into fear. And there is fear that begins to, to grow. And the end result is selfishness. I want you to think about this. Most of the reasons that we are selfish is based out of fear. We're afraid. We're afraid. Why do we fear can't we're afraid of dying? Why do we fear um, um, I don't know, losing our job? We're afraid we won't have enough. I'm not saying that those aren't genuine fears. 
I'm just telling you that fear drives our life in so many ways. So many ways that we don't think about. Why do people sleep around? Because they've been rejected and they're afraid of rejection. And so I want to find somebody that'll love me. And if I can't find it in one person, I'll find it in a bunch of people. And so we begin to look and, and we begin to go after it in any way that we can. We don't believe that God can truly fill up every need in our life. That if we trust in him and live by his word, that God can truly fill up every need that we have. And so a lack of trust turns into fear and the end result is like that azalea bush. It just begins to manifest as this huge, ugly thing in our life called selfishness. It started with Adam and Eve and it's continued through uh, since the creation of mankind. And there's something on the inside of us that when it manifests, it is ugly. I was talking with Sean Fox and I want to tell you this, man. I love Sean. He's got such an awesome heart. And he came to my office and this was during the first week that they had their baby. And if you, you know, we tried to tell him, but you can't tell somebody about the life change that happens when you have a child. I mean, you go from napping when I want to nap. Nope, not anymore. You go from going and, and playing golf, hunting, whatever you do. You, you don't do that anymore. If you do, you come home and the door is locked and you can't get in. <laughs> and so he was in my office and he was, just, he was like, man, he's like, this is, so, this is so hard. Brandon, we hadn't slept in three days. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. And he's like, this is so frustrating. And I said, oh, how frustrating it will be. And, you know, I'm not helping him any, uh, you know. And, and I said, but Sean, you got to think about it like this. We went through the same thing, and we've got two. So evidently, it gets better at some point. Hang in there. But the funny thing was, I was like, Sean, I want to be very honest with you, and I want to tell you this. When you have your first child, it brings out every bit of selfishness that is in your body because you can no longer do what you want to do. And he goes, I know, I know. And he goes, he looks at me dead in the eyes and he says, I have seen my true colors and they are ugly. <laughs> because it was just bringing out this nature. It was bringing out this thing, this, this, this just innate in us to want what we want. And then finally, I just looked at him and I said, Sean, it's time to put on your big boy pants. And he kind of looked at me and he said, I know. <laughs> and then he looks at me and he says, Brandon, it's like I can see my big boy pants in the corner and I just don't want to put them on. <laughs> And yet they're doing so, they're like in week three now, I think. And so they're doing, they're doing so much better. But isn't that the truth? That when we really begin to boil it down and things begin to draw, the boat gets rocked a little bit. Sometimes what comes out is just ugly. It just isn't pretty. And we can be strolling along thinking we're doing great and things are wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the, I just spit, that was bad, sorry. But thinking things are wonderful and then all of a sudden, the boat gets rocked and what comes out astonishes us. We are absolutely amazed at what comes out of the boat. And it's that selfishness, that, that, that innate desire to just want what we want. And this is how I want to wrap it up today. I want to tell you about another seed. See, Jesus talked about another seed. It was actually in Matthew 13, 31 through 32. And he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He said, though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it has grown, it's the largest, he said, it's the largest plant in the garden. And so this, this little bitty seed begins to grow. You know, for everything that is of God, there is an opposite that is of Satan. 
If you take the spirit of Christ, you have the antichrist. And I believe that this seed that has grown in our lives, that this selfishness that has grown in our lives, I believe that the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. Jesus came and showed us. Remember, he flipped it upside down. He turned it on its head. He changed it around so that we could see that the kingdom of God was not like the kingdom of the earth. It was the anti-kingdom of the earth. It's the anti-selfishness. It's about other people. It's about living for them. It's about blessing others. And Jesus came and taught us this. And I just believe this, that we are stuck in such an awful cycle of selfishness in our society, in our culture, in the world, that we're not allowing that, that other seed to grow the way it should. But Jesus said that if we would allow it, the kingdom of God would grow in such awesomeness that it would become the largest plant in the garden. I believe that the kingdom of God can become so big in your life that it overshadows the selfishness. That that other thing that's grown in your life, it can overshadow it. And when it can't get light, it'll begin to die. But we've got to let that grow on the inside of us. We've got to be able to allow that to happen. And it's a cycle. See, what happens is when we get it out of trust, we, we begin to have fear. We begin to be selfish. Then we begin to manipulate. We begin to try to manipulate situations, people, things, to get what we want. And what does that do to the person that we have manipulated? It causes a lack of trust. And it becomes a cycle that happens over and over and hence the world we live in today. So they're just selfish. Nobody looks out for the other. And so we come to a place of realizing that we have got to stop this cycle. It was Albert Einstein who gave the definition of insanity. I, I believe, and help me here both, I believe it was that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. See, we've got to stop the cycle of this selfishness and get to a place where this other seed, the kingdom of God, begins to grow in our life and overshadow the selfishness, the insecurity, all of these things that are on the inside of us because of the sinful nature that we have. And when that little seed begins to grow, it becomes the largest plant. It can take over in our lives, and it'll begin to drown out the selfishness, but we've got to begin to put that in proper perspective. You know, the crazy thing about that azalea bush beside my house is today it is huge, it is shining in all its glory, and you know, in a way, I thought about this week, that thing has sort of won. I just sort of gave up on it. I was like, well, oh well, it's not that visible. You know, as my thought is, people can't really see it on the side of the house. If it was in the front, maybe. But I think sometimes we do that too. But it's not that bad. I'll deal with it, but let's not deal with that. Let's, let's leave this on the side. It's kind of, I can put that around back and nobody can see that. And I think about that, that bush and how I, I just really gave up on it. And I think for some of us in life, we've done the same thing. I think there's this selfish part of us, these things in our life that we've just set on the back back burner we just put on the side of our life in, in the back of our life and hope dear God don't let anybody see them let's just hide them and see I believe this with all my heart that if we're going to deal with these things we've got to deal with them at the root there's a story in the, in the gospels and it's where Jesus is walking along he sees a fig tree and the fig tree's got leaves and I guess Jesus was hungry he walks up and he looks at the fig tree and it doesn't have any fruit on it and he cursed the fig tree. The next day they come by and the fig tree is dead. And the Bible says this. It says it was dried up from the roots. 
And I thought about this week, about what Jesus does in our lives when we will allow him. He comes into these things that are so selfish, so innate in our nature, and he begins to dry them up from the root. So that if we'll surrender it to him, and things that have clung to us, things that we have voluntarily stuck in our back pocket and carried around with us for our entire life, Jesus is able to dry them up from the root, but we have to come and lay them at his feet. See, remember the key to it. What did the seed grow from? What did this selfishness grow from? It grew from a lack of trust. When are we gonna trust truly our lives to Jesus? That they can be healed, that the roots can be dried up so that we can quit trying to cut down the ugly fruit and yet see it pop up again and again and again. We've got to get back to trusting Him with everything and allowing Him to be the one who lifts these things off of us. See, we can't do it. But Jesus can. We can deal with the fruit. But he can deal with the root of that. And I believe that's what he wants to do with us here today. Will you stand? Let's pray.